This is my journey In a career spanning 50 years, music has been her life, and it's been quite an odyssey. Aviva Pelham has wild opera audiences locally and globally, with her versatility, exuberance and beautiful voice. But that's not all she's done. She's unstoppable. I wanted to hear her story from the very beginning, about how she found herself, starting with her Rhodesian upbringing and her musical parents. It is a very unique story. My parents, uh, one born in Poland, one born in Germany, and both of them casualties of the Second World War. And they had an amazing situation where they corresponded for a short time, and my father proposed to my mother and asked her to come through to Salisbury to live with him. And the reason she did that was because uh, she and her family and such terrible anti-Semitism in Europe. Uh, They were all at risk, and she agreed. She came out and she married this stranger. And from this union, there was a wonderful set of values passed on to my sisters and I. Mm -hmm. My parents had both been under such terrible pressure and grief and sadness and loss that they gave us enormous security and love and we had music. Music was the glue that kept everybody together and it was a very musical home so I thought everybody's home was musical like that and I did have many opportunities in my youth for which I'm so grateful. My parents didn't have them and I know that most South Africans didn't have them and and sadly we're sitting here today in 2023 knowing that millions of women in the world still don't have them. Mm -hmm. I did take advantage of the wonderful opportunities by having a lot of lessons in music and in instruments. In Rhodesia? In Salisbury Mm -hmm. and uh, also drama as it was then and drama and and all I knew was that I needed to do something to do with theatre and music when I grew older. You moved into opera. Was that intentional right from the very beginning? No. I I did hear wonderful opera recordings when I was a child, uh, and I loved the lush orchestration, the wonderful voices, and the sense of drama, but at no stage did I dare dream that I might go into that unattainable, astounding world. In fact, I had some very major challenges in that, first of all, I was an asthmatic child, Mm -hmm. and I really gasped and spluttered a lot, so it didn't seem like anything to do with singing would come my way. And also, I was turned down quite a lot in the singing realm when I came to university and wanted to do singing as a second subject with piano as my first. I was turned down for second subject Singing, which is so devastating because all I knew was that meant I was hopeless, useless, and uh, I have always given much thought to 
adjudicating or examining, one has to be very careful with who is in front of you who might be full of nerves, might be young. Uh, we need to see what the potential of this person could be before we say a downright no or you have failed. Because when I walked away from failing to get into a second subject singing, where really all you have to do is show up for one song once a week and that's it. Uh, I just thought, well, that's it. And I was, I was very, very unhappy about that. I just thought I'm useless and tried to put it out of my mind until I came across the opera course that they offered at university. And, and who was running that opera course at that stage? The father of opera in South Africa was Gregorio Fiasconaro, who was shot down as a pilot from Italy and was in a prisoner of war camp in uh, Peter Maritzburg. Amazing story. And eventually he took a position at Cape Town, lucky us, and he did accept me into his opera course. Um, because I think I had everything else. You know, I had the musicality and the harmony and the counterpoint, the piano, the longing to act and do all those languages. And I gasped and spluttered for a while, and eventually I think he saw that that I am a theatre animal, and he, he put a lot of opportunities and time into... There's uh, absolutely no doubt that you're a theatre animal, but it, it, it sounds to me as if... From the very, very beginning, because of the musicality in your family, you always knew that you were going into music. There was no, no. other path. No other path. And, and that is quite unusual because so many of us start off with some idea yeah. and then move into things that we never possibly knew that existed. So when you started training with Gregorio... What happened then? First, I was doing piano for two years and clarinet, neither of which I was particularly interested in. I, I did them. Uh, but when I started the singing, my whole world opened up and I knew this is, this is what I have to be part of in some way. And I often think about the fact that opera is the most complicated diverse complex of all the art forms. And actually, it is a synergy of all of them. Right. You know, there mm. is this storytelling, which I know yes. is what Women's Zone is about, and it's done through singing with other singers, with an orchestra, that cosmopolitan, astounding world, mini, mini world, mm -hmm. with all these people from all over the world on finely crafted instruments. You've got a full chorus behind you. You've got lighting and sound and props and costumes and the drama and the, and, and the languages. And there I was, this exuberant, passionate girl who desperately needed to communicate. And I knew I had to express myself with my own body mm -hmm. and it was never going to be ballet <laughs> but you do dance I do dance I love dancing I do I do dance I love movement and I love I love doing them all you see and opera does give us that chance and also I was lucky enough to shift over to some other styles as well and what I love about that is the challenge of learning new skills because I respect my audience so much and 
greatest respect of all to the composer and his librettist and the conductor who stands in for the composer, the mm-hmm. greatest of respect and the aiming for excellence with integrity. And there's only one standard, and that is the very, very best you can ever get. I think that opera is something that you've almost got to learn to love as a young person. And my very first experience of opera was when I was a kid at school in England, and they took us to see Don Giovanni, not really a starter pack, as I would say. (laughs) And I hated every moment. I I think I was scared of it Mm. because I didn't understand anything. If you were to, and I know that you do introduce youngsters to opera these days, what is your advice in terms of introducing a younger audience to opera? You know, music for me, and I think for almost the whole world, is the international communicator. It really doesn't matter what colour, what age, what gender, what religion, what anything you are because we all have lots of different forms of music inside us. And if we can find an accessibility point, then we are communicating with each other. So in order to make it accessible, one way of doing that is language. So if you can manage to introduce to a young audience an opera in their vernacular. That is immediately uh, a direct link. And, of course, if you can't do that, there are sur or subtitles, not all of which are easy for perhaps children to read and to understand. I think they should always be given a background, you know, what the story is about. I think I can understand you being afraid of it because we don't sing when we tell when we talk to each other we don't sing when we tell stories and suddenly this whole thing is in singing and we've got to get over that in your case uh, embarrassment and wonder and and horror of of this person making a very very loud noise Mm. with their own body over this full orchestra so i would i would start young and i would start with short excerpts let's be honest even even experienced adults haven't got that much concentration for so long certainly not a wonderful drama of don giovanni which is all about child abuse and pedophilia let's not go there Uh, good one (laughs) to send a bunch of high school girls to. Uh, But not necessarily no to that, but as long as there's the background and and the understanding and and the understanding of Mozart, the greatest genius uh, comparable, in my opinion. Is he your favourite? Well, the problem about Mozart is that, how does it go? Mozart is too easy for the amateurs and too difficult for the professionals. You know, you get the simplest, most exquisite vocal line, which feels so difficult for the professionals. It's really... Mozart was the prime example of the classical period, and that is all about beauty, elegance, balance, and it's really difficult. So I... I do love Mozart and I did many, many of his operas many times in different incarnations and I'm grateful for that. But uh, no, I'm actually, uh, you know me, I'm in for um, Verdi, Puccini, Rossini and also I do, I really love the more dramatic and the lush 
Oh, you know what? I love everything that I'm doing at the time because you, you get to know it so intimately, every note, that you feel part of it. And it's so obvious because you exude that passion. But I want to just step back a little bit. It hasn't all been plain sailing. Certainly not. And you met Angelo Gabato, who was a huge influence on your life. Yes. And, and became an enormous friend of yours. Mm. But I think at that stage you were... A pregnant fairy? <laughs> Dancing a pregnant fairy or playing a pe- pregnant fairy? Professor Fiascanaro put all his chorus and his soloists from um, the opera school into, into the chorus. And, uh, yes, in my final year, I was pregnant. And uh, luckily, the costume designer saw me long before they designed these these fairy costumes and did a wonderful A-line for me. So you didn't actually know, looking at the chorus, which one was pregnant. Um, (laughs) But my son was born very, very soon after that. And I met Angelo. We were both in a production at the Little Theatre in uh, in a two 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 handers, and so I had seen him already. And he was the person who was directing me for Don Pasquale, which they offered me a tour of um, quite soon after the opening of the at that stage Nico Milan. And after working with him on that, I was so grateful to have somebody of that intelligence with that insight and patience and and knowledge to take me through steps one by one of how to you know what we do we pull it all apart you listen of course everything's driven by the music even the words sometimes words are written before music but everything ties up with the music and we you analyze every word you analyze what the feelings are what the movements are and try to teach a young person how to express this through their body without feeling too self-conscious it is such a steep learning curve remembering we've got to make beautiful sounds when the conductor tells us to I think we're getting opera 101 here (laughs) (laughs) but I want to I I mean you 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 played a pregnant fairy I didn't realize that you were actually pregnant how did you during your career and your career has spanned 50 years how did you balance your family life and your professional life because you've traveled a lot you you've been upfront most of those 50 years haven't you I think that I need to call upon and and do a shout out for every single woman who has been a working mother because it is it is such a juggling act and it takes enormous planning organizing stamina um, and I had the fortune the supreme fortune of meeting a man who didn't begrudge me the opportunities of following some kind of profession where he knew I was in love with and needed very badly and he had the foresight to see that if I did that my fulfillment would come straight back into the family so actually there is no loss but it it, it does take a very special man who is not threatened and who can share in my case, because it's in the public eye and people make up their own stories about it and, and think it's all glamorous, but this superb human being 
helped me enormously. And that already, that goodwill and that willingness helps. And I know that there are most people who do not have this support and this help. Uh, my parents came to live here after some years, after leaving Zim Zimbabwe, and I was lucky because that also helped me a lot. Um, but it does. It takes energy, it takes stamina, it takes planning, but there was never going to be the stage with me, Beryl, ever, ever that I only sang. I'm just not made up that way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people along my path in, in music, in, in opera, women made choices. They said, I'm not marrying or sometimes they said I'm not having children and that was their decision and I never ever was going to do that I, don't make me choose and Paul didn't make me choose mm -hmm. but if it had been a choice I think I would have gone for the family first because it's just it's just ingrained in in my family that the cycle of life carries on and I have had the privilege of experiencing the joy of that obviously it hasn't all been plain sailing who or what has stood in your way of your career? I think when you put yourself one step forward out of the chorus, which I always did, <laughs> I was apparently pushing forward, um, you take enormous risk. So partly this was my own um, decision that if I was going to do it, I could only do it if it was Excellent. Uh, mediocrity does, does not work for me. Uh, what's the point? What's the whole point of being mediocre and subjecting people to watching and listening to somebody who's mediocre? So it was always this, this ginormous stretch. And I think what happens when we do something in, in the public eye immediately is that we're taking risks. Risks need enormous courage because there's this fear of failure. There is judgment, constantly judgment. Still, I'm sure there's still. And I've had to realize over the years, you can't please everybody in the end if you can please yourself, your partner, if you can please your children, your family, and especially your conductor and director, you're doing quite well. Um, and then besides this judgment, I think one's got to be very, very careful about burnout. I mean, I was working, I, I can't start to tell you, maybe six or seven major opera, always the the role, the leading role per year, a couple of operators, and eventually we went into the musicals. Do you know how hard one has to work when you're learning ahead of time? I would come back from a performance, sometimes eight performances a week for musicals. We didn't have understudies, we didn't have microphones, and I would be learning at the piano by candlelight touching very lightly so as not to wake anybody. The next role, and I'd be rehearsing in the mornings and I would be singing symphony concerts. So I paid that price. Um, I think that one needs to make very good choices when it comes to health and how to keep the stamina and because the voice is the human body. And I learned major life skills through my journey, which have helped me in the rest of my life. Well, I think let's talk about those because those are incredibly important lessons to have learned. And I mean, when I look at you, you, you your stamina is extraordinary. Your, your energy exudes all over the place. It's no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful because we are all in what some people term our twilight years, which uh, nothing's twilight for us at all. But I think, tell us how you maintain that stamina. Well, I think when we go back to making good choices 
And at every second of the day, we have a choice. With that goes responsibility and sacrifice. And if we can manage to do it without harming the people around us, if possible, helping, then, then we're on a good we're on a good ticket here. And I, I want to go back to health because it's the most basic of all things. When you get out of bed in the morning, you need to make the right choices. What, you know, I'm, I'm not a health fad person. I, I'm, I'm not madly extreme, but put in good things into your body, what you drink, what you eat, and most of all, your thoughts. And that means surrounding yourself with people who are positive, reading matters that are positive and, and can lift you up and inspire you, helping other people around you. But the life skills, I mean, time management, that is what a working mother needs, time management. And I, I am good at that. I had to postpone leisure often over several years. But when you love your job so much, you, you don't really need to go away on holiday and have leisure. But the life skills that you get is, is the commitment. If you say you're going to do it, you've got to show up. You need resilience. You need integrity, authenticity, discipline, and you need boundaries. I think us women, sometimes we don't know how to say that. We don't know how to do that. And as soon as you do that, with the greatest respect to everybody around you, you can start to gather your own energy better. And you need a dynamic capacity to bounce back because as you've pointed out all of us have terrible bumps in the road we have disappointments we have disillusionments we have betrayals that's life we're on a life journey and we if you can manage after you've processed after you've understood it yourself to then go back to the choices and choose the positive and come back with the stamina with the positivity and maybe have to reinvent and put your energies into something similar because I will never ever move away from music ever I don't I don't know who I am without music <laughs> um then you can use your time again in the best way for yourself, for self-actualization. Yes, we have two streams, all of us. We have the potential in ourselves, and it is our right, it is our uh, responsibility to fulfill that to the greatest level. And the other stream, holding hands all the way through, is what can we do for other people. So that brings me to... <laughs> what you have done for other people because apart from opera I mean you have reinvented yourself and perhaps we should talk a little bit about the musicals that you have been involved in, how you moved or maybe it's sort of crossover yeah. opera to musicals and then on to what you have done for others because I know that you are passionate about young people. I'm so pleased you brought up the word crossover because I, I started thinking to myself, you know what, you're a crossover queen because, you know, I paid my dues. I, I got a master's in music. I sang Messiaen. For that, you need the St. George's Cross if there is one and, and Benjamin Britten. Difficult stuff. I did it. And at the time, if you moved from one, may I call it genre or fach, like mm. opera, to musicals, at the time, long ago, they 
don't allow you in South Africa and in many countries of the world, not America, they don't allow you to move. They think if you sing opera, you'll never sing musicals. Oh, she did My Fair Lady. No ways can she sing Mozart again. That's what they did. They kept putting me in a groove. Of course, America, if you can't um, roll a blade at your, at your audition where you're singing, acting and doing everything else, you don't even get past the front door. So I love that because if I think I have a strength, it's the, it's the versatility. That's what yes. I love. Tell me to sing under the bed in the third act trio of Marriage of Figaro with a potty, and that I'll do with the topsies. <laughs> and tell me that the witch in, in Into the Woods can come through a trapdoor or can fly. That I want to do. I want to do the more, the more diverse. Uh, I mean, I went on point for the ugly sister in Cinderella. <laughs> Actually, on my points, and I was already in my forties. So, that's what I really love to do. And the crossover element was not only to and from operetta and musicals and opera, but then I started doing other music. And what I really love is taking something that's based in classics and bringing it to a more modern feel. I mean, one day I'm going to do a show called B-Rock and I'm going to take it from the Baroque period. And, you know, that's what I love because what we're doing is we're making it accessible to a new group of people and that's what you were saying as a child going to opera and not having it accessible. Everything we do must be accessible, whatever it takes to do that. And then I started moving into my own concerts and bringing on as much talent as I could using my platforms to offer, to shine the light on the talent's of many, many other people, not necessarily only singers. And to put them onto my platform, as I said, I so respect my audience, it is never going to be anything but excellent, which means if you offer me the buskers who are standing at the waterfront, and I've heard many, or the boy singing in the middle of the street, or a trolley pusher, or a gardener, or a petrol attendant, and I've had such a wondrous range of people who I've had the privilege to meet and to listen to and go, here is talent. What is the next step? Usually I go for education first if I can and obviously um, uplifting the musical talent by singing teachers, by musical uh, advisors in any capacity. And I'll try then to formulate some kind of group and train them, mentor them, workshop, whatever it takes until they're ready to get onto a public stage where I then have the joy of doing what Ubuntu is all about, as many differences, because in my opinion, each person has light, each person has talent, and that makes South Africa stronger. For me, the differences make us stronger, not weaker. I don't know what this world is fighting about. Every, every, anything that's different, there is turmoil, upheaval, and slaughter mm. in this world. Me, I'm exactly the opposite. We must celebrate our differences. So you, you spoke about Ubuntu. Can we talk very li- a little bit about the Amy Foundation? Because I know that you've been very involved with them. You've trained them. You, they sing beautifully at all the gala performances that um, the Ubuntu Foundation puts on. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, Kevin Chaplin invited me to one of the, I think his first, Amy group. And lots of 
performances happened and they were too long and in my opinion mm. and, uh, and they just carried on and on but I did see immediately that there was so much possibility and if you can spend time in areas where you have some kind of expertise, do it, do it. And I brought some people aboard, uh, on board. I'm so grateful for them, each one and a talent in their own right. And and we started to shape it so that each group has is uplifted. The facilitators need to be uplifted. Mm. They themselves have to learn. And that was where I was able to step in. Well, I, I know from the feedback that I've had of all the concerts, they have been spectacular and of course now to close this off you've just had the most magnificent evening here which I am devastated that I I missed but to celebrate the launch of your book a musical odyssey and I believe that the evening was a musical odyssey and you had a group of divas I do. Talk about the divas. <laughs> you know, this actually goes back to crossover, and there's, mm. there's just so much to say. What happened was when I saw the three tenors singing in front of, on, on video, singing in front of the Eiffel Tower, all of them with music, the three wonderful, wonderful tenors, I looked at it and I said to Paul, I said to my wonderful husband, you know what? The girls can do this, and they don't need to be standing looking at their words, and they don't only have to be singing opera. Mm. So that was where the concept of Divine Diva came and um, I worked with the amazing director Janice Honeyman and oh. we chose our three divas carefully Sibongile Kumalo who we lost at the age of 60 mm-hmm. tragically I mean what an incredibly talented musician and and Virginia Davids uh, who is a, a stunning musician singer and teacher um, and I saw our rainbow sopranos would tell a story that was more powerful than the diplomats can do. In fact, once on one of our performances, I I don't know whether it was in London when we were at Festival Hall, there was a huge headline that said, never mind foreign affairs, send in the divas. And this is what we're talking about. There are three people of different color meeting at the meeting place in your soul where music combines our differences, our togethernesses. And after that privilege of much music making with those divas, and I did sometimes supplement some others it lay dormant for a while and recently I thought you know this is a fabulous concept and brand so I chose three new ones and I'm very very proud of them they sang for the first time in public at at my launch and when can we expect some more shows with the three divas I'm ready just give me a date (laughs) Aviva you've given us just the most marvellous chat this morning and, and I feel very privileged to have known you for as long as I have done to have worked with you on some projects but also to be able to sit with you this morning as two septuagenarians who do not know when to stop <laughs> they're going to have to shoot us oh, well absolutely, absolutely your passion is just unboundable I mean we, 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 we can't stop it and, and who would want to thank you so much and I want to just wish you lots of luck with your book, 
My Musical Odyssey, and it is available through yourself. Yes. And if people want to get hold of you, can they get hold of you through your website? Yes, my website or just an email, avivapellum at gmail.com. Couldn't be easier. Or www.avivapellum.co.za. Thank you so, Thank so you, much. Mira. It was wonderful talking to you. My journey, who knows what I'll find. This is my journey, who knows what I'll find.